I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10.3, Post Media's Canadian News Podcast. On this episode, the Conservative Party of Canada headed to Halifax hoping for a display of unity and momentum as electioneering heats up in this country. But outspoken Quebec MP Maxime Bernier rained on their parade in a big way, announcing he was leaving the party. We look at the long-simmering fight between leader Andrew Scheer and his one-time opponent and where the Conservative movement goes from here. It's Tuesday, August 28th. Marie-Danielle Smith covers federal politics for the National Post. So, Marie-Danielle, what was the big reason behind this departure? That's actually kind of a complicated question. Um, Maxime Bernier has some ideas that he feels aren't being reflected in the Conservative Party. Um, There are things that he fought for in the leadership race, ending supply management, ending corporate welfare with no exceptions. Um, And he's recently started talking about the issue of diversity and how ever more diversity, as he put it, would be bad for Canada. That's something that the Conservative Party doesn't really want to touch with a 10-foot pole. He says that Mm -hmm. these are the reasons why he's leaving, right? Um, He wants to start a new party that's based on these principles. Uh, If you ask some people who have known him for a long time, people from the Conservative Party caucus, now they have an interest in unity, of course, so that kind of colors their response. But in their opinion, um, Maxime has left the party because he's still upset that he didn't win the leadership um, just over a year ago in May 2017. And this is kind of him trying to still leave his mark on conservative politics when he wasn't Mm -hmm. able to get a consensus then. So going back to the leadership, Maxime Bernier was favored among candidates to win leadership of the conservative party. And he was ahead on every ballot until the last ballot when Andrew Scheer won a very slim majority. And is it a case that there's still sour grapes around that? And the fact that um, as Bernier says that uh, Scheer sold out the party to the supply management cartel. Yeah, Andrew Scheer owes his leadership to a few groups in the party that really rallied around him at the end. Um, Part of the reason that he won on the very last ballot is that he had down ballot support from from a lot of other candidates. But he also Mm -hmm. um, promised that he would keep supply management were he to become prime minister. This earned him the support of the dairy lobby, which is very powerful in Canada. Um, He also was more sympathetic to the views of social conservatives. So if you're talking about the groups that really helped him win the leadership, um, it would be the dairy lobby and the social conservative lobby that were the most influential for him. So with Bernier's departure and his announcement he's going to create his own party, um, where does that leave Scheer? Or how did he respond? Well, the thing is that Maxime Bernier had been kind of a thorn in Scheer's side ever since the leadership race. Um, Scheer had struggled to sort of bring Maxime back into the fold. Uh, many attempts had been made to do that. He had been given um, not the portfolio he wanted. He wanted to be the finance critic. Um, but he was given the innovation file, which the leadership thought would allow him to expound on some of the policies that he was interested in during the leadership race, including ending corporate welfare. He didn't seem to take that um, very well, and he didn't seem to really uh, begin attacking on some of those issues under the under the critic role. He didn't seem interested in it, people were saying. So he sort mm-hmm. of had a hard time 
um, being an active member of caucus. And in retrospect, Andrew Scheer said last week, it seemed like he had made the decision to leave quite a long time ago. Um, and all of these attempts that they had made to sort of get him on board and get him to be a team player uh, hadn't seemed to be working for a long time. Now, typically, when you have a, a leadership race that's that close and someone who who obviously has the support of a, a large number of members in the party, um, you try and give them, throw them a bone. Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, Shears Camp felt that they had given Bernier uh, a big enough critic portfolio, but um, why do you suppose they didn't give him anything larger than innovation or more prominent than innovation? What well, was their concern with him? Maxime Bernier is quite um, quite a strong character. Uh, he is considered to be quite egocentric. Uh, so there's that. And, <laughs> and this kind of gives him a bit of a kind of people think that he might be a bit of a loose cannon, right? So if they were to give him a, a really prominent role, it would be possible that he might sometimes overshadow the leader. Um, Andrew Shear's personality is not uh, very, I don't want to say it's not strong, but um, he's not as extroverted as some of his caucus members, and, and mm-hmm. he's not as opinionated as some of them. He t- tends to be very measured. Uh, he tends to take a decentralized leadership approach where he allows his critics to really bite into their files and become the lead spokespeople for those files rather than the leader um, being the main spokesperson on every issue. So if you gave Maxime Bernier the finance role, for example, it would have been his voice that we were hearing on things like Bill Morneau last fall, that big issue there. Um, they could yeah. have predicted that he would end up being the, the lead voice on that. And because he had won the leadership um, so narrowly, Shear probably didn't want to open himself up to questions over his um, sort of control of the caucus and of the party. That takes us up to last Thursday. Conservatives are gathered in Halifax National Policy Convention, their last convention before next fall's election. How did this all play out in Halifax? So I was actually on the plane when Maxime Bernier made, did his press conference. Um, usually on the first day of a party convention, uh, things don't really get rolling until the evening. There's like an opening ceremony kind of thing. And mm-hmm. then the hospitality suites break out, which is where people socialize. So I, I wasn't set to arrive until actually just after uh, Maxime Bernier had made the announcement. And as I was getting off the plane, I was live streaming uh, Andrew Shear's press conference where he was responding to it. Uh, so I was a little late to this actually because of because of the airplane ride but you know the immediate reaction was was one of uh slight chaos i would say he definitely disrupted things he disrupted the narrative that the conservatives would have wanted for their first day honestly within a few hours though uh the tone was uh a lot more relaxed it really had shifted to away from any kind of sense of panic and towards a sense of just extreme annoyance that Maxime Bernier had had sort of pulled this move on that day that he hadn't had the courage, as many said, to come to Halifax and face his caucus members and face um, potential constituents himself. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that he wouldn't do that in person spoke volumes for a lot of people and so this ultimately gave Andrew Shear an opportunity to have everyone kind of rally around him in person and Maxime sort of not 
lending his, not having his shadow over the whole weekend. Um, so after those first few hours of, you know, uh, a little bit of shock and a little bit of uh, anger towards Maxime, you then started to get conservatives from all the way across the country, people who were in Halifax, but people who weren't, such as former Prime Minister Stephen Harper, all coming out and saying that they supported Andrew Scheer's leadership. And so in kind of an ironic way, Maxime Bernier leaving and announcing that he would form a splinter group was giving Andrew Scheer the biggest yet endorsement of his leadership um, since he won. So this this sort of gave him an opportunity to consolidate that. Um, so you had uh, Stephen Harper come out and support uh Former federal cabinet minister Jason Kenney, now leader of a conservative party in Alberta, he was very vocal in his support of Andrew Scheer and was critical of uh, former ca- uh, cabinet mate uh, Maxime Bernier. But it didn't all go smoothly in Halifax. And there was one policy session where supply management uh, came up again and things got a little heated. I'm just wondering what you can tell me about that. Yeah, so at at political policy conventions like this, it's an opportunity for the grassroots of the party, so the rank and file from writings all across the country, have a chance to get a say in the policy platform of the party. And the way that it worked in Halifax, there were three breakout sessions where they were discussing 24 to 26 resolutions each. Um, and then the one, the resolutions that passed with 80% would then go on to the, the main policy plenary where all delegates had a chance to vote on them on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So on Friday, one of these three groups, um, it got going kind of late. It was not actually taking place in the same location where uh, it said so on the program. So some people had trouble finding it. And so it got going a little late, and this was the policy breakout session where supply management, ending supply management, was going to be the 26th resolution out of 26 that were on the table. Now, the party rules state that ideally you have 20 to 25 that get debated and either passed or not in each session. So this is how the ranking had the sort of prioritization ranking that happened by voting. So regional votes, as well as online voting from writing associations had put this last on the list. So that's important context. Um, There was a democratic process that led to this being last on the list. And I will note that the Boast Writing Association, which is Maxime Bernier's writing, didn't actually participate in the process. So had they been, you know, um, Maxime Bernier wanting to end supply management would have, in theory, wanted his writing association to vote on that, right? So so this is kind of some important context. Um, But nonetheless, there were delegates who felt very strongly about ending supply management. And having the session get started off late and then having it end before the last few resolutions could get debated, including that one. So there was a little protest that broke out. There, are, I would say there were about 25 to 30 people who felt very strongly about this. Um, some people were yelling, shame, shame, you know. Uh, a guy came up to the microphone saying, you're, you're throwing us out of the party or you're, you're making us feel like we want to leave. And this, of course, um, had added significance because now there was potentially a new option, uh, Maxime Bernier starting a party that would advocate for this policy. So there was a little bit of a protest it kind of uh, ended with a whimper as um, the chair of that session called a vote as to whether or not they should continue. And the majority said, no, let's let's end it here. We've we've reached our time. So okay. 
it wasn't, um, it could have been a bigger problem for the party than it was. Uh, but I think what it showed was that some of the grassroots are deeply unhappy about the fact that they weren't able to even discuss the issue. This came out even more clearly when there was a little piece of the dairy farmers briefing book. Um, this is the dairy lobby that supports supply management. Their briefing book came out, uh, a little excerpt from it came out on Twitter on the weekend and said that they had gotten support from Andrew Shear that no matter what happened with that policy, whether it had gotten passed or not, that ending supply management would never be part of the party platform. No. Um, there was a bit of a, back and forth with the leader's office where they said, no, that's not actually true. Um, so kind of remains to be seen how serious that was. But people know that Andrew Shear kind of owes his leadership to certain groups and that being one of them. So there are people, there are cons- there's a constituency within the conservative party base that is probably going to be pretty interested in what Maxine Bernier comes up with. Okay. Now, just to, to clarify for listeners here, why is supply management so important to this group what what is it and why do why do they not want the conservatives to end it right um so supply management is a system a a system of quotas for dairy egg and poultry products in canada which sets a limit on the total amount of those products that canada can produce um and farmers are able to uh, trade or sell their parts of their quota, um, which means that it's a very stable market for the farmers who participate in, in that system. It also limits, um, foreign interference in the market by putting large tariffs on these products. Um, so I think it's up to 300% for butter, for example. If you're a U.S. producer and you want to export butter into Canada, you're facing an enormous tariff to do so, which makes it pretty much untenable. Um, so this means that the market is very stable and profitable for dairy farmers in Canada, and it's quite a closed market. So one of the reasons that this is gaining added prominence right now is that U.S. President Donald Trump has, has landed on this sort of set of tariffs as a reason that Canada does business unfairly. Okay. Um, the U.S. has its own protectionist measures when it comes to the dairy industry there. So it's kind of unfair of him to suggest that our system is the problem, is, is the whole problem here. But it certainly does kind of play into the, the dynamics around renegotiating NAFTA and around sort of the, some of the trade disputes that we have with the U.S. right now. So there's definitely um, a set of the population in Canada that would like to see the policy ended because they see it as a roadblock to you know, the Canada-U.S. trade relationship. And that's what Maxime Bernier has continued to advocate, even when he was in the Conservative Party as an MP. And even, you know, before he quit, he was very vocal on this. And that had been a thorn in Andrew Scheer's side, because, of course, um, he had promised never to end that policy. We'll be right back. This is Dave Breckenridge, host of 10.3, Post Media's Canadian Current Affairs podcast. The name represents Canada's 10 provinces and three territories, and each episode takes a deeper look at one of the biggest stories in the country. Our show is powered by the work of journalists and newsrooms across Canada, so be sure to support your local paper. We're available wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Stitcher, and more. So be sure to subscribe and leave a review. 
We'd love to hear what you think. You can get me on Twitter, Breckenridge, Y-E-G, or dbreckenridge at postmedia.com. Back to the convention, because the weekend obviously wasn't all about Andrew Shear versus Maxime Bernier uh, ending supply management versus protecting the dairy cartel in Canada. Um, what else made it to the floor in the debate? Uh, and were there any other areas of controversy for the Tories this weekend? Yeah. Um, so there were uh, a variety of other policies that were brought to the plenary. And I would say that um, there are a couple things that I would highlight as the most controversial. Uh, one was the whole debate around abortion, which continues to kind of haunt the party. Uh, the official party line for a long time has been that they won't reopen the abortion debate, that they wouldn't legislate on regulating abortion because they worry that this will alienate a lot of mainstream voters, which is probably very, very true. Uh, so, you know, in, in the favor of, of having electoral success, leader after leader, um, and in the latest, uh, in the latest iteration, Andrew Scheer have said that they wouldn't legislate on this issue. But there is a very strong constituency within the Conservative Party. Um, and they are led primarily by a group called the Campaign Life Coalition. Mm -hmm. People who are pro-life and are working very diligently within the framework of this party, which is really the only party where they can have a home in Canada to try and get policies um, for pro-life issues on the table. So the resolution that they had that made it to the plenary was to strike from the policy book a part that says that the Conservative Party would not, a Conservative government would not support legislation to regulate abortion. So yeah. they would delete that from the book. Um, this resolution was defeated, but only by 53%. So the fact that almost half of the delegates at a Conservative Party policy convention got this through means that we are going to have to watch for this policy to come back in future conventions. It's a problem because the Liberal Party has found it very convenient to bring up the abortion issue in the context of conservative politics and sort of create this specter of, well, they don't believe in women's rights or they don't believe um, in a woman's right to choose. So how can you trust them to be in government, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's one big issue. Another issue that we're starting to see play a lot um, with the liberals, um, with left politicians, is this idea of ending birthright citizenship. This is a policy that actually did pass. So the conservatives have said that it shouldn't be that babies born to non-Canadian citizens or non-permanent residents in Canada should automatically get citizenship. So they're not saying that citizenship should be revoked from anyone, but they're saying if somebody comes here, uh, if, if, you know, to sort of the birth tourism thing, if somebody comes here expressly to have a baby, so that, that baby will be Canadian, that shouldn't be allowed. Um, so there are a lot of questions around how this would actually work. And it's a really sensitive issue because, you know, the idea that conservatives, um, are anti-immigration or, the idea that they would be trying to restrict citizenship in any way has been a really big part of liberal attacks on conservatives. So I think we're going to see that issue continue to pop up. Um, and so far, uh, Andrew Scheer hasn't really definitively said how he feels about that. Um, I spoke with him on Saturday and he didn't sort of tell me one way or another how he felt 
They provided a statement to reporters later that day, which said that, you know, a policy would probably be more nuanced than what was adopted in the policy book. But again, no real indication as to whether they agree with it or not. Now, does this potentially get tricky for the conservatives, uh, given that Canada is also dealing with a new wave of asylum seekers who are coming here from places like they've come from Haiti, they've come from places like Nigeria, Mm -hmm. um, they've crossed the border and then uh, made an asylum claim. Um, They want to stay here, obviously. Does this kind of cross over into that issue and and pose a trouble for them because they may be suggesting that none of those asylum seekers kids because i don't think they're those asylum seekers aren't necessarily coming here uh for birth tourism um right so, so, so yeah it creates a potential issue where i mean the the sort of the major concern with this policy is that it would create stateless children where mm. you have people who are in the process of claiming asylum in the process of um uh, trying to be refugee claimants, uh, they may be here for quite a long time while they're waiting. So if they, if anyone gives birth during that time, the question is what happens to those babies? And, and the policy that's in place now is kind of a catch all where anyone who's born in a Canadian hospital say is going to be a Canadian citizen. And that's the end of that. So it kind of raises all these questions around whether you'd have to create exemptions. How would it work? How would you, where would you draw the line? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you, you could make the argument that this idea of ending birthright citizenship is very tied to concerns around asylum seekers. Um, It's something that people in the party have been talking about a lot. Uh, One of the policies that was passed as well this weekend said that Canada should renegotiate the uh, safe third country agreement with the U.S., which is the agreement that allows us at official points of entry to send people back to the U.S. who are trying to claim asylum here because we consider the U.S. to be a safe country where they can do so. Um, The loophole in that agreement is that people are able to get in between points of entry on the ground um, and claim asylum in Canada without getting sent back. So the conservatives want us to renegotiate that so that they can still get sent back, even if they cross over at an unofficial point of entry. Right. So this is definitely a big issue for the party and for its critics. Um, And it's navigating it because you get into issues of xenophobia, issues of identity politics, um, things that, you know, aren't necessarily, um, shouldn't necessarily be conflated with the asylum issue, but often are. Uh, that's something that the party's really going to have to navigate. Um, now, usually after a convention like this, a party is looking for a bit of uh, buoyancy among membership. They want uh, to f- come out feeling unified. And sometimes even you get a, a bump in the polls. Um, how do you think that they've come out of this convention? I would say that it's less a matter of finding new buoyancy and it's more a matter of having weathered a storm. Mm-hmm. Um, this could have been a huge disaster for them. Bernier's decision to make his announcement the first day of the policy convention was seen by many as a stab in the back. Um, but had it gone another way, had he been, uh, had he persuaded more of the people who were in Halifax, it's possible that this could have really caused a, a bigger unity crisis than it did. So I think, I think the story out of this convention is that Andrew Scheer managed, at least for now, 
to kind of patch the holes in the boat and try to keep everyone on board, right? Uh, it's still possible that Bernier will have a, a major impact on the number of people who vote for the conservatives, on um, on how well Shear does in the next election. But for the time being, uh, he seems to have prevented a major rift in the party. And the, the sort of the rank and file, those people at least who were committed enough to the party to be in Halifax in the first place, seem to have really fallen behind him. So the question now is, what will he do with that, right? Will he be able to convince them that he's the guy that they should continue following? Is he able to sort of be this strong glue that holds all these different types of conservatives together? Can he inspire all of those people in in a way that, that makes them feel committed still to this project? Because we know that the Conservative Party, as it stands now, has not existed for all that long, right? And I yep. think there are lots of memories of how things were uh, when the party was split, when we had the Reform Party, Preston Manning. There was all this kind of um, division in the conservative movement in Canada. So people are afraid to reopen that again, but they also need a pretty strong leader to stay together. So it's his challenge to be able to be that person and really form a glue. All right. Well, there's a, that leaves us plenty to watch for in the next year as we, as we creep toward uh, the 2019 election. Marie Danielle, thanks for your time. Thank you. Here's what else is happening. With Canada still on the sidelines, the U.S. and Mexico have reached a deal to replace NAFTA. U.S. President Donald Trump announced the deal Monday, saying it will be called the United States and Mexico Trade Agreement, suggesting he didn't like the term NAFTA because, quote, the United States was hurt very badly by NAFTA for many years. Mexico's president has stressed the importance of Canada being included in any deal, and a statement from Foreign Affairs Minister Christia Freeland's office said Canada's signature is required and suggested Canada is doing its work to get a deal done. 10-3 is produced by Carson Jarama and Carrie Ann Sproul. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.